I knew that I needed change. Like I knew at that point my career was over. I knew at that point my relationship was over. Uh, I made a lot of sacrifice trying to get to where I needed to go. And in the end, the sacrifices didn't work. Uh, to be honest, in that moment, I had no idea where I was going. I had no direction. All I knew was just that uh, I was going to take it one day at a time. I had to find a new interest, a new passion, um, new partnership, create a new whole new support network. All right, Taylor Forbes, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, pilot episode, no pressure here. I don't know if you uh, yeah, it's a pilot. remember I said I was going to start this four years ago under very different pretenses and uh, came to the conclusion that now with this project was the right time to finally start the podcast. So we're, yeah. we're getting yeah. there. We're doing it. This is it. <laughs> welcome. All right, man. Tell me about the world of a professional triathlete. What do people underestimate about that lifestyle? Uh, oh, that's a big first question. Like right out the gate, a really big question, a lot to unpack. Um, I, I'll start off by saying that uh, like a traditional training week ends up being about 25 to 30 hours of exercise a week which you know in terms of like working a full-time job where sometimes you're working overtime and it's like 60 hours a week it doesn't sound like a lot but um, you know 30 think about like what it means to do 30 hours of exercise so um and it's everything else around that training that's like really challenging so you're putting in the 30 hours you're exhausting yourself to the limit but you also have to recover you have to eat properly um like all of that comes into play and it ends up becoming just like this ridiculous full-time all-consuming passion um and i when i say all-consuming i really mean all-consuming like it really um takes up every aspect of your life like you have to make sacrifices in terms of family uh you have to make sacrifices in terms of your you know your partner your partner uh themselves have to make sacrifices on your behalf um and it becomes really tough uh i like i think my biggest challenge was keep staying in touch with friends uh seeing my family and prioritizing enough time and emotion to my partner um who you know you, you could probably ask her and she'll tell you that it's tough it's very tough dating a triathlete it's not easy but um and then the other the other aspect of it is always you know you're always fighting for funding um you're always fighting to perform well enough to make enough money to make it to the next level um it's stressful um you're sacrificing, you know, your other career goals outside of sport. Uh, there's a lot. There's, it's just, it's, it was tough. It was very hard. It's a tough sport. Being a professional athlete, especially when it comes to like endurance sports that consumes a lot of time, um, it's challenging. And I think the biggest thing I struggled with is the burnout. Like you, you train yourself uh, to the bone and you get to the point where you have no energy to give to anything else. So that's fair. It's uh, definitely not something that uh, we sort of took for granted when you were going through it, for sure. It was one of those things that between you and your brother, whenever we could squeak in a little bit of uh, time to hang out with you, that was that was how we got to see you. But uh, it was fine to know that you were off doing your thing and traveling around the world racing and, and uh, trying to uh, bring home a victory for the boys, as it were. But... Uh, yeah and, but i mean like the one nice thing about it was that when you when you establish a really good friend group that you know will last a long time you can kind of come in and out of it and and really rely on it and understand that you know it's it's there it's not going anywhere you got to do what you got to do and then you can always come back to it. So that's like, that was like the nice thing for me is that even though I was like doing these things, I always had something to come back to. I was always grounded by that. So, 
Um, for us normies that don't understand what it's like to uh, participate in a 60 plus minute rate at a race at 98% uh, aerobic capacity or anaerobic capacity, can you uh, <laughs> describe what that feels like? Because uh, I'm sure almost nobody outside of uh, high end endurance athletes is going to understand what that feels like. Uh, yeah, it's a absolute rush. I think like uh, if you ever hear any athlete um, in any sport talk about uh, really chasing that state of flow, um, and that's what you're really uh, trying to achieve. Like for you to perform your best, you have to enter that state of flow. Uh, and the the better and more practice you are at it, the better you'll perform and achieve your goals. Um, the idea of achieving flow is that when you when you get into that state, you don't really feel the pain or the hurt as much, um, which is how people are able to sustain such effort. Uh, I mean, we're also practiced at it; like we do it every day. We we know what it feels like to like, you know, as you said, um, be at like ninety eight percent of our, our aerobic uh, capacity, um, but. It's it's just a complete it's a it's a rush. Uh, you get a huge high from it. Like you kill yourself for sixty minutes to two hours, and afterwards you're just like buzzing. Like it's amazing. You kind of get into this tunnel vision, um, and it's just such a different experience from reality. Is the way I would put it. Uh, and it's so hard to achieve otherwise. Um, and I, I feel like that's what athletes really get addicted to. That's what like professional athletes really, really get addicted to. That's what I, and that's what I think it feels like. I, I, I don't think about the pain when I reflect on it. Um, I think of about the elation that I felt in the moment. So, um, that's sort of, yeah, that's what it kind of feels like. Yeah. And you talk about sort of getting into that flow state. Is there a part of that world that, um, becoming um pushing yourself that hard physically does that influence um your ability to um perform in other areas of your life or influence your how you look at going into flow state if you're doing uh another project in your life for example yeah that's that's actually a really good question because when i retired from sport and i started entering the more the work world and started building my career like I went to school and started building more of a career um, there was two components to it I've, one I felt if I was able to consistently work on something and be very intrigued by it if I had an interest in it it was easier for me to get into or at least close to a flow state I, I wouldn't say it's like I wouldn't say it's the same thing but I could feel myself sort of like building up to that state um, and that really helped me with my productivity. Uh, the, the more interested I was into something, the more I was into it consistently, the more I could like practice at getting closer to that flow state. Um, the other thing was finding work or like subject material that sort of invoked my competitive drive, uh, which I've been having a hard time doing and sort of why I started more leaning towards the work that I do with labor relations because it is relatively competitive and I, I finally found something that's been able to like uh light a fire under my butt basically so uh yeah i think um being consistent in your work and doing something that you're very interested in uh couple those two things together and you will find that it it'll be easier to achieve that flow state um so that's how I've been able to manage it. That's how I've been able to get close to it. I haven't quite felt that same, you know, tunnel vision uh, experience yet, but I, I feel like I'm getting closer. It's, yeah, it's tough. It's one of those things where there's definitely been experiences in my life where you understand when you're in that flow state and you like look up and it's been six hours and you're like, well, oh no, like yeah. what happened? Um and then That's exactly it. there's yeah. other areas where you're like, okay, this just needs to get done. So finding where you can find that sweet spot and uh, try yeah. to move yourself more in that direction as much as you can. That's, that's the way to go about it. Yeah. And that's the biggest challenge is like finding the sweet spot. Um, like it's so hard to enter the flow state in general for anybody. Uh, 
but even getting close to it or even building up to it is really important because it, it does help with productivity, does help, you know, with uh, energy levels and performing well. Uh, and it's funny that, like, yeah, it's a time, time elapse. Yeah. Hours go by. You talk about, like, an hour or two hours of, like, effort in a race. It feels like 30 seconds by the time you're done because you don't know what's happening. You're kind of just, like, acting on instinct because you're in that state. So. Okay. Uh, on top of your time as a uh, triathlete, you're also a pretty uh, decorated cross-country slash track and field runner. Um, you ran varsity for uh, McMaster during your time there. What's um, one of the big takeaways that you have from your time um, uh, maybe different from triathlons, which has a small team aspect to it, but going into more of a, especially a var varsity atmosphere um, on the McMaster cross-country team? Yeah, I, I mean, like, being on a team has its pros and cons. Um, I liked... Individual sports because you, it teaches yourself accountability. Like you, you're only accountable to yourself. You only have yourself to blame. Um, you only have yourself to reward in a sense, other than like you know your support team, of course. But um, when it comes to team sports, it's a little bit more complicated. But it also provides a lot of valuable uh, learning opportunities and life lessons. Um, I found being on the varsity team at Mac taught me. Um, dependence, which I think can be more of a strength uh, than um, you know than a weakness. Like being de being able to depend on someone is uh, a true valuable virtue to have. Uh, a lot of people think of it as a weakness, but in, in reality, having someone there is uh, it'll only help you and only help them. Uh, you're there to build each other up. So I think that's what being on a team has really taught me. Um, and also like the influence of being on a team. Like I went to McMaster and I'm not an, you know, an academically inclined individual, but all my teammates were very academically inclined and I wanted to perform as well on them, not only on the cross country, uh, field or whatever race course. Uh, but I also wanted to perform as well as them when it comes to my academics and like outside life as well in terms of you know volunteer opportunities etc so uh it's a positive influence it teaches you that dependency is valuable um and yeah it's like just those are some components that you just don't get when you do ind individual sports definitely um you can You've taken a little bit of that, the the dependency and the team aspect, um, and you're now moving sort of into the mentorship side of things or have been um, on the coaching side um, of uh, at least triathlons right now. Um, and so what are some of those maybe big pieces of information that you can bring along from um, both your time as an athlete and, and as a teammate? And how do you... Um, move from that student into a teacher role. I think that's uh, something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, so, you know, being an athlete, I really lost sight of the big picture. Um, I was so focused on fine-tuning the details uh, that I, I really was losing sight of um, why I was there. Uh, why I was doing what I was doing, but also losing sight of my bigger goals. I was so nitpicky on like certain little things, and I was getting bent out of shape, and as lose as being put in, in a bad mood just because I was missing small metrics that really didn't matter in the moment, um, and it didn't matter in the long run, especially. Uh, so when I transitioned from being an athlete into a mentor slash coach. Um, what I've learned being on the outside, kind of looking in, in a sense, is that uh, the big picture the picture is what matters. Keeping focus on those long-term goals uh, is what really matters. You're going to hit road bumps. You're going to have hiccups. Um, and in the end, what matters the most is consistency. You can, like day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year consistency will will provide you more value and allow you to perform better than anything else out there. 
and that goes for anything like honestly anything like i find like consistency is what matters the most um especially when it comes to athletics so as a mentor slash coach what i tell my athletes all the time or the the athletes um within the uh junior development series i tell them that you to achieve your long-term goals you just need to be consistent and you just keep at it and you need to go day by day and not worry about you know the small failures but look at the bigger picture objectives and the bigger picture rewards so definitely i think that's something that i've been noticing of late in my own life for sure too is just the the importance of consistency and sustainability when it comes to like actually making progress on the things you want to make progress on um and being okay to even forgive yourself a little bit when you have those days where you're like man the dog threw up on the carpet and we don't have any food in the house and i slept five hours last night like life happens and it's one of those things where yeah one off day is not going to make or break your season as an athlete or whatever your uh particular demand is yeah yeah and and that's actually a really good point because i think a lot of athletes they get caught up in the idea of perfect consistency like perfection is a thing that we all strive to achieve but when I talk of consistency, one of my past mentors and my coaches talk of consistency and, and how I talk to consistency now with my athletes, it's about a rolling or a balance of consistency. It is a balance of consistency because like, um, not every day is going to be perfect, but if you show it, show up like day in and day out, dis- despite it, um, you'll see results. And one day is not going to be the same as the next, but yeah, that, that balance of consistency is what's important, not the perfect consistency. Definitely. Uh, tell me about Paula and the impact that, uh, she's had on your, your life and your, uh, your ability as a coach. I know. I, I really wish I've, I've had more opportunities to tell Paula how much she's shaped my life. Um, now's your chance. She, I know, right? Yeah, exactly. This is it. Uh, ah, man. She was a massive influence on me as a coach and a mentor. I feel um, she's the perfect amount of understanding, but the perfect amount of tough. Uh, she she put you in uncomfortable positions, training, to just to push you enough and make you feel like you've achieved, uh, but not push you so hard that it makes you feel like you've failed. So um, she was very smart and strategic about that. What I really appreciated about Paul the most was that she was very open to feedback and working together, collaboration, um, when it came to workouts, when it came to structuring goals, when it came to, you know, uh, life outside of training. Um, she, she was really accommodating in that sense. And I think that's really important in the coach and, and how I, you know, take my coaching now, like, there's more to life than just training and you need to accommodate that. And, uh, the better you're able to accommodate that, the more consistent the athlete can be. And therefore the, the more, like the more likelihood of their longevity in the sport, but also the more likely they're going to perform better over time, over a long period of time. Um, that's something that Paula taught me, uh, that I still hold with me till this day is the ability to collaborate and accommodate, um, just, just phenomenal coach. And, you know, her results show it like her athletes are amazing. Just even to this day, like her much better than (laughs) we were back then. (laughs) Um, not to say that you don't have a couple of OUA medals under your belt there. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) You also, I won't toot your horn too hard for you, but, uh, from what I understand competed during one of the most, uh, competitive, uh, eras of U sports. So we won't put that one. Yeah. Too high on the list. <laughs> um, besides the sort of consistency and sustainability that we've already touched on, is there anything else that, um, you work with, um, your athletes on in terms of, um, helping to guide them in areas that maybe aren't necessarily sport or are there anything is there a different way of saying that could be is there anything that you tell people as a coach that can be applied in other areas of their life 
Yeah, yeah. We we touch a lot on mental fortitude. Um, and I say that because when it comes to sport and, and the balance of consistency that we've talked about, you really have to roll the punches. You have to take your loss. You have to be humble. Um, you're not going to achieve or, uh, you know, all your goals. You're not going to win every competition. And that takes a lot of mental fortitude, really accepting it, reflecting on it, and then moving on. And that's something I actually really struggled with as an athlete, too. I, I really internalized everything. Um, I really uh, took everything to heart. I took things hard. I took losses hard. Um, but the reality is, is the the better you're at at accepting the moment, reflecting on it, and then moving on and learning from it and understanding that you'll be better from it, uh, the better off you'll be um, in terms of your performance and just in life in general. And like that's actually a, a skill or a lesson that I've carried on with me after sport. It wasn't something that I was very good at. I've been practicing after the fact, and I feel like I've, I'm getting better at it and it's helped me deal with things better I don't get so caught up in it and I don't get so upset and I don't allow it to control my emotions as much so that's something I, I tend to work on with my athletes um, as much as I can but they're you know they're young some of them are teenagers some of them are in their early 20s they're still working on um, their emotional regulation um, but I, what I find is the athletes that really perform the best are the ones who can can regulate their emotions um, and have that mental fortitude. So, uh, yeah. Is there anything from your uh, small background in psych that uh, has helped sort of guide any of those, any interesting observations from that world? Um, yeah, so the, the one thing that I, I learned from my background in psych uh, was... Um, I'm trying to like the idea of envisioning. Um, it's kind of like I'm trying to remember the term for it. It's been a while since I've done it, but uh, basically, just like it's you're you're running through the race in your head. Um, uh, I can't believe I forget what it's called. Anyways, you're running through the race in your head, um, and you're practicing all the series, all the steps, all the, you know, actionables that are going to happen in the race. Uh, you're, you're seeing the course, you're seeing how you're going to feel, you're seeing how you're going to react. Um, I feel that ability has taught me a lot. And it's something that like we did a lot of research on, I shouldn't say research, a lot of lectures that I, I was sitting in, um, in terms of, uh, like sports psych, especially talking about, uh, athletes who practiced, um, that sort of envisioning of their races and their actions tend to perform better. And it's a practice that I've carried on with me throughout my sporting career. And it's something that I like, I do a lot now, even after my sports is if I have a big day ahead of me, I kind of like in the morning, I'll walk through the actions or if I have a big speech um, or if I have to go through, like right now for me is if I have a big meeting or if I'm going to a hearing, I have to like, walk through what the hearing is going to be and how I'm going to speak and how I'm going to articulate. Um, and it kind of helps me more so with my nerves. The more I can like expect all things happening and, and, and have an idea of what, what I'm about to do, the less nervous I feel about it. And I feel that's what I've, I've carried on for me. And that's like the one thing that I was taught in university. Uh, Probably the only thing that I carried on from my undergrad, to be honest. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I think definitely one of those things that um, people underestimate in a lot of different areas is how the ability to properly prepare for something mm -hmm. influences the outcome, not based on anything other than you entirely silence a good portion or all yeah. of the like nervous energy that you have inside of you. Yeah. And that just allows you to perform better on the day of in whatever it is that you're doing. So that's actually, it's not the only, I, you brought something up that it's kind of triggered. I learned another thing in my undergrad now that I think about it, the, the difference between internal locus of control and the external locus of control. Uh, and the idea that if you have an internal locus of control, you're more likely to, 
to act on things uh, upon your own will and um, not only that but also take the blame for your actions and also hold your, be more accountable uh, where external locus of control is no it's not my fault it's everyone or everything around me's fault and uh, I, I've tried really hard to make sure that I, I fall under that internal locus of control because I feel like I can I can create my own destiny if I want to I just have to put in the effort um, so that's just like something I learned that I've tried to do as much as possible. <laughs> well, I can tell you in the world that they, we exist in now that you're well in the minority of that category, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it seems that way. <laughs> um, so in this area of sport and, and a couple other areas of your life, you spent enough time around people that are in sort of the top 0.1% of their, their field. Is there any sort of, um, trends that you see across some of these people in your life? Um, yeah, I would like when it comes to professional athletes, um, the biggest trend that I see is professional athletes are really good at building a support network for themselves. And what I mean by that is that they're really good at, um, picking and choosing who they feel needs to be in their circle and, and holding them closely uh, to rely on them. And, and this goes back to my point of dependency. And like in triathlon, even though it's an individual sport, you weren't depending on your teammates, but you're depending on your support circle. And this is something that my coach really tried to push towards me. I just kind of got like too deep in it and I was just struggling mentally. I just couldn't see it. Um, having that support network is really important. Um, it grounds you. Uh, it has such a huge effect on your emotions. Um, and even like at a, a physiological level, like it really changes your stress levels. It helps with cortisone levels. Um, and it's a huge benefit to have that, that, that support network. So that's the one thing I, I see most well-performing athletes uh achieve well um at least in, in the endurance sport aspect um is that they build that support network so that's the one one trend um the other trend is that uh expectation management is a huge thing I, th I feel like athletes really struggle with this concept is the idea of managing expectations so that they're realistic and achievable um, I feel a lot of athletes and maybe people in life in general, and this is why they get, you know, they have such a hard time trying to go to or go towards certain things or create goals or achieve certain things is that uh, people set their expectations here, like at the very top, just like very high, rather than building levels to get to that, you know, end goal. Um, the more realistic you are with your expectations, uh, the more likely you'll achieve them, the more likely your progression will continue onward. So those are the two two things. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things. I It reminds me of a, um, a quote from Alex Hormozzi when he, he's just talking about the idea that... Um, uh, confidence is basically just a stack of evidence that you have in front of you that says you can do it. Um, and building those expectations one little brick at a time and not trying to fool yourself into believing that you can accomplish this thing when you've never accomplished this thing before um, and how to realistically set those expectations. So I think that's a really uh, cool insight there. Yeah, and and that's good. And I, I like to couple with that. I would say there needs to be, you need you need a bit of imposter syndrome. You need to feel a bit of imposter syndrome to move on from one next, you know, one level to the next. Um, I call it fake it till you make it, but because that's what we had to do in sport. You you moved up to the next level. You just had to like put yourself in there and hope for the best and learn from that experience. But um, um, you need to couple, yeah, expectation management with the idea of imposter syndrome, just a slight bit, not so much that you're overwhelmed and you can't, like I said, achieve your goal, but just enough that you feel uncomfortable uh, to the point where you can grow from it. So, Hopping back to that support network idea for a minute, um, 
obviously I would say that you have a pretty good one around you now. Um, but I know that rebuild took a little bit of time and like, what would you, um, say not necessarily to an athlete, but someone in general that, um, maybe doesn't have that support network around them and how important that is even just on a daily basis of, of doing those things that you're talking about of, of regulating your emotions and making sure that you have a good grounding system around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think having a support network is one of the most important aspects or factors in life. Um, it just helps you feel like you're not drowning in certain aspects. Um, and any moment of life, like sometimes you'll be struggling. Um, one of the things I felt like, and, and I'm going back to my days as an athlete, I, there was a point at which I felt lonely, not because everyone else was ostracizing me, but because I was ostracizing them. And without that support network, I felt like I was drowning. Um, and it's something that after sport, I've, I've tried really hard to stay more connected with family and friends and especially my, uh, partner, um, because having that support network, at least you feel you have something to fall back on or someone to, you know, uh, depend on. Um, and, and it's nice because when you need a break from something or you need to step away from something, it is nice to spend time with those people because um, it does take your mind off things. It does help uh, uh, regulate your emotions because uh, you're focused on other things. You're not focused on the one thing that's like causing you turmoil. You're focusing on the things that you enjoy and that you love. So um, it's the one aspect that I truly, I didn't take into account as an athlete that I completely regret. Um, and it's something that I, I plan on holding with me after the fact, after this, after my retirement. So. Perfect. We've, yeah. uh, so we've touched on this a couple of times now, but there's sort of a follow-up question, obviously for a little bit of context, you basically retired from, uh, professional triathlons, professional sport, um, just about at the same time, uh, where you lost your partner of five to six years, uh, through yeah. a pretty tough breakup. Yeah. Um, and that all happened within the span of a couple months. So what do you take out of that in terms of you basically had to basically reinvent yourself as an entire person at that point? So what is what do you feel um, helped you in terms of uh, reinventing your identity a little bit at that point in your life? Yeah, that was a really low point in my life. And uh, and I guess right around the time, like my mom was diagnosed with cancer and the pandemic hit, really shitty time. That was, now that I think about it, that was pretty crappy. Um, that was tough. I think I knew that I needed change. Like I knew at that point my career was over. I knew at that point my relationship was over. Uh, I made a lot of sacrifice trying to get to where I needed to go. And in the end, the sacrifices didn't work. Um, and it was a low point. I felt like when I was in that lowest point, I felt that I owed it to myself to come out of it as a different person, as a better person, learn from those experiences. Uh, to be honest, in that moment, I had no idea where I was going. I had no direction. All I knew was just that uh, I was going to take it one day at a time. I had to find a new interest, a new passion, um, new partnership, create a new whole new support network. And it was just, as you said, within your analogy, it was, it's building it block by block, step by step. Uh, and it just took time. But in the end, I just didn't give up I mean that sounds like super cliche and lame but um I couldn't just let triathlons you know be my life and then end my life I had to move on and um you know when my mom was diagnosed with cancer it really put things into perspective for me like okay like so what you you retired from triathlons you've lost your life passion which is it is a big deal but at the same time you have so much to be thankful for uh and you have other things you can do like what I kept internalizing in my mind was that this is the perfect opportunity to chase something else that you might be passionate about that you haven't 
yet discovered. And that for me was like what drove me the excitement of like, okay, I'm done triathlons. What else can I do? And what I noticed in observing my brother going through the same phase a little, a few years before me was that he came out with a completely like new identity and enjoying life just as much, if not better. So, um, I think, uh, sometimes like my, you know, really my, my advice to myself and my, my advice to other people is just keep pushing onward, build yourself back up block by block, step by step, um, really take inventory of what's around you and who's around you, especially. And, and this touches back on the support network. If you can take inventory of who's around you and, and sort of cling on to that, um, you'll, you'll see a bit clearer. Um, you won't be so focused on the negatives as much. Um, and that's what really helped me through it. And also like my friends around me, it's like as a last thing is just like seeing my friends thrive in what they were doing and, and their interests and their passion. It, it drove me to want to do the same thing. And it kind of like created a, a path for me to follow. It's just like, okay, Blake's doing this. Um, Matt's doing that. Like, they're finding ways to find different passions and I can do the same. Definitely. And I think, uh, part of what people underestimate about all that too, is just the gratitude piece. It's one of those things for me in my life where I know when I just take a step back and think about all the, the, even the small little things that I have in my life compared to where some other people are and the struggles that other people go through. It just reminds me that almost any problem I have is almost inconsequential when it comes to the ranking of, uh, the order of problems as it were. So, um, definitely one of those things that if you're able to take a step back and look at the, the macro picture instead of, um, just being so in the weeds all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Perspective is, perspective is important. And I mean, you, you have your, have had your fair share of, uh, tough times. And, uh, what I've learned from you is, is that perspective piece, especially it's like you have done such a good job at keeping things in check when it comes to comparison or perspective. And I think one of the things I challenged with, I, I, sorry, I was challenged with the most was coming out of sport again, like it consumed my entire life. That's all I had. That's all I cared about. That's all I was passionate about. Um, and I lost perspective because of it. Uh, what I had to learn or regain was my perspective. And, uh, you're right. Yeah. That's a, it's an important thing to have. Um, and it kind of helps you frame your mindset moving forward, um, and frame what your, your goals will be. So what is it that you think maybe despite um, the distance or, or time um, and even the uh, changes of, of groups surrounding it that uh, has made sort of our friendship sort of last as long as it has? Um, is there any sort of lesson there? Yeah, that's a really good question. I get I actually get asked this a lot. Um... Sorry, I keep getting phone calls. Uh, I get asked this a lot, um, not only from random people, but particularly like Drew, uh, my partner. Um, she asks me like, "How how have you stayed in touch and remained friends with, you know, friends that you've known since kindergarten, basically?" Um, and I've always thought about it. I was like, what separates us? And I, obviously people have like friend groups that are you know, similar, but um, what separates us from the usual people who develop friendships in university or after the fact? Um, I think, uh, I, I really think for us, for me at least, my friends feel like home. Um, and it's, for me, like home's important. Uh, and it's something that I always want to remember. Like I always want to remember where I'm from, obviously, but I always want to like go back home. So when I'm like with my friends, uh, I feel comfortable. And for me, it's like a matter of psychological safety too. I feel more psychologically safe with my friends that I've been around uh, since kindergarten versus anyone else. I feel like I can be com- I can be completely authentic. I can be myself. I can, you know, say the things I want to say. 
um, without judgment. Uh, it, and to me, those are like all important aspects. And, and it's a matter of building relationship to the point where it almost becomes like family. You know, you don't always see your family all the time, but you can rely on each other, you can depend on each other, and you can feel safe around each other. And I feel that aspect of safety um, is what's really valuable. Um, but to be honest, I, I don't know. Like, I, like you, you have thoughts. You're in part of the same <laughs> friend group. You tell me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a lot of that there and maybe just uh, extending the branch of um, what you're talking about in terms of being able to have conversations without judgment. And I feel like that's a, something that's very sorely lacking right now, um, even within friends and family. I know it's been a tough four or five years here um, yeah. and it's not necessarily getting better. So... Um, I think that's definitely one of the things that I sort of hold most dear in terms of making sure that that's a part of my friendship with you and whoever else I try to become good friends with. Uh, it's definitely, um, something that I feel, uh, a lot of people are missing out on and yeah. not only, um, being able to say things without fear of judgment, but also being able to um, open up and, and, uh, talk about more difficult subjects or nuanced subjects that people don't necessarily want to go near with a 10 foot pole anymore. How can you continue to put people in your life that you can have those conversations with? Yeah. And I think like on that note too, you, I have family uh, like I'll have family and friends that I disagree with on, on things. And I've always had family and friends that I've disagreed with on things. And we just have different beliefs sometimes. And I'm okay with that. Like it, for me, it provokes a better conversation, um, with the understanding of, you know, having a, a different take on things, uh, but also being like reasonable about it, not like attacking each other. Like my dad and I fundamentally disagree on many things, but he's still my dad. He's still my family. Um, I'll, I'll have the argument with him or the conversation with him, but, but in the end, you know, two people were allowed to have different beliefs and we're allowed to have a conversation about it. Um, but he has my back. He supports me. I support him. It's just like a good example um, of what it means. And I, I feel like that's very true among our friend group too. Like all, all of us have very, we come from, you know, sometimes like a bit of different backgrounds. We come, we had like different upbringings, different experiences. We have different perspectives, different beliefs, uh, but we all come together and we can talk about it and we can discuss it, but it doesn't matter as much as our relationship in the end. And I think that's what people lose sight of almost. It's just they let it get in the way of what you've built up. And that seems unfortunate. So that's my, my hot take on it. <laughs> it's good. I, I totally agree. Yeah. What's the last thing you changed your mind about then? In terms of what? In terms Anything. of like what's recently? the what's the last thing you changed your mind about? I have to think about this. Uh, I was a oh, okay. I'll, this is very relevant to my work now. Um, but prior to working in the real world, I was a huge proponent for unions. Um, I would still say like I, I I still lean towards like I I the the I fundamentally agree with having unions because I do believe they're there needs to be a conversation of employers' rights and employees' rights. I think, I think that has to happen. Um, and when it comes to money, just unfortunately, like the employer has a lot more to spend when it comes to having those fights. Uh, so I think unions play a, a very important role. However, you know, prior to working in the in the real world and prior into working in this field. I had this weird skewed idea that the unions were always the good guys and the employers were always the bad guys. That was just like my very black and white idea and vision. Like my ideology is very black and white on it. Um, working on the employer side in two occasions now, uh, I would say that's not always the case. I would say um, that 
the employer is not always the bad guy and the union is not always the good guy. It, this, and life is more complicated than everything just being black and white, right? Uh, so my, vi my, my view on that has changed dramatically, uh, how I, I view the employer-union relationship. I think both play important roles, and I think both can be advantageous and both can be disadvantageous. It just depends on how, how we roll the dice. Like the current union that I deal with um, is very militant and refuses to be business partners. Therefore, it's affecting the business and not only the business, they're union members. Uh, for whatever reason, they can't see that. I don't know. Don't ask me. I just, I play on the employer side. So uh, that's, that's something that's I've changed dramatically. However, I do think they, they both play an important role. So yeah. What do you think of that? <laughs> that's that's exactly what i was looking for it's one of the yeah. questions that i tend to try to ask myself as often as i can um definitely something that i uh try to pride myself on is not being too entrenched in um one particular set of beliefs or obviously there's underlying values that are part of who you are and and you want to remain true to those but you I don't feel like you ever want to hold one particular idea in your mind so um, so I don't know what the word I'm looking yeah. for right now is, but so you hold on to it so hard that uh, it's any it's sort of information to the contrary about your belief um, can't yeah. sway you from that because at that point you don't really have. Uh, an idea or an opinion you have more of an ideology and, and yes yeah. and you want it you don't want it to not be malleable i think that's the word you're looking for like if you're holding on to something so hard that it's not malle malleable then you're not learning really yeah. um i think and one of the things i've really learned too from being in my current role is that uh um controlling the narrative to shape perspectives is like a huge game that's played uh, within our field. So um, I'm trying to trying to think of like how specific it can be with it, about this without getting in trouble. But um, you don't have the, to get into it. We don't just like just like say say for instance like a union and a company are are in a period of bargaining. Um, and they want the public's interest. Uh, they want to hold the public's interest. They could put like they could like reach out to a news article and say this is what's happened from their perspective, um, which is obviously the employer is the bad guy. Screw them. You guys should side with us, i.e., the public. Uh, and very unlikely is the employer willing to put out the same level of communication because they hold a bit more liability. So it, it is hard uh, to understand all the context without being provided. And I, and I, I, I do believe that like, you know, there people, entities, enterprises, they can say what they want. Um, but what this job has really taught me is that uh, without understanding or knowing the entire context of something you don't know the whole story or the whole picture um and i i'm really trying to train myself to to take more in or sort of realize like there is probably more to the story again not everything's black and white things are more complicated um which has been tough like i can i can admit that like you know uh it's hard to change that mindset but um with practice and with especially through my work it's definitely changing so yeah the complexity of the truth is always inconvenient for both sides so yeah well said <laughs> much faster than how i said it <laughs> um what's uh what's a project you're working on right now uh work sport or otherwise that you're excited about <sighs> um so right now with, so I'm a, on the board of directors for Triathlon Ontario currently, um, and there's been a bit of turmoil uh, among the high performance community. Um, in light of that, I've really been pushing the board and influencing the board uh, and the community at large to strike a provincial development program committee, 
which would be actually the first subcommittee in Triathlon Ontario's history. Um, that was actually officially struck three weeks ago. So I'm very proud of that. Uh, we, we, we got a, a form out. We had people apply to be on the committee from all over the country. Um, it includes, you know, uh, subject matter experts, community stakeholders, board directors, um, board director members, sorry, um, executive directors, uh, coaches, athletes, etc. Um, that's been a passionate project of mine that I've been very, very proud of. Uh, I really hope it it amounts to something uh, of value. I hope it amounts to. Um, you know, it'll it'll carry some weight in the end. Uh, my biggest worry is that you know it's all talk and, and no action. But uh, I'm very optimistic. And being young and sitting on a board of directors with such, you know, experienced individuals, it's it's hard to speak up. And I, I've been proud of myself to to be able to voice my opinion and and get this started. So that's been pretty cool. That's awesome, man. I'm I'm proud of you. It's. Yeah. Uh definitely an exciting project that uh, uh, you got going on and, and I hope it amounts to what you want it to amount to and we start seeing the changes that you want yeah. we'll find out I hope I just want kids to have more support in the high performance uh, pathway and, you know more support than I ever did and that would be nice so that's what I'm pushing for um, really it's a matter of like recognizing what I didn't have as an athlete and trying to make sure athletes behind me have that. So. Absolutely. All right, man, if you wanted to send people somewhere, where would you, uh, where'd you send them? In the world? Uh, I mean, just like, I'm just wrapping up here. What are you, uh, if you want to send people to a web page or follow Ooh. your socials or, Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, I mean, you can. I run. I I have. <laughs> I'm not like super active on social media, uh, but my tag on everything is r underscore Taylor Forbes. Um, Forbes like the magazine. Um, not related. <laughs> but unfortunately. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that would be nice. Yeah, I'm not super super active on social media, um, but I would say go check out Distilled. Um, some pretty good content over there happening right now. Um, and what I appreciate about the content is it's psychological safety. Like feel free to browse, feel free to take in the content and feel free to feel safe about it. Um, it does have a lot of provoking thoughts and ideas. Um, so it's good in that aspect. There you go. Perfect. All right, man. Thanks. I appreciate your time and, uh, we'll, have you back on at some point, I'm sure. Sounds fun. Thank you for having me.